Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you. I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? I've got my good friend, Todd Herman. If you've never met Todd, you're about to meet one of the most fascinating personalities and one of the most brilliant minds, I think, in the, honestly, I don't even know how to classify your industry because you're in multiple industries. You probably have the same problem I do. You can talk about anything. When they put you on stage, you can hit any vertical, any industry. Right now, you're running a software company that helps coaches scale, grow, develop their companies. But He's had clients, the Boston Red Sox, NFL, Olympic athletes, Real Madrid. You kind of got me into hockey as well because you've had hockey players as clients. I moved to Nashville. Uh, We had an interview. I was like, I'm going to go figure out what hockey is. Now I'm hooked. These are like some of the toughest guys in the world. When I saw your book, I'll let you talk in a second. I'm just going to dominate the intro for a minute. When I saw your book, The Alter Ego, I started reading it. I got about 15 pages in and bought 20 copies for my entire sales team uh, here in Nashville. So I was like, this is a philosophy that can protect a person's performance without robbing them of their humanity. Not that necessarily it's a dichotomy like that, uh, but it's one of the best performance philosophies or ethos that I've ever seen. So thank you for writing that. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I want to hear all about what you're doing in life, business, and et cetera. But thanks for being here. Yeah. Well, appreciate it. I'm going to get you to do all my intros for me now. Wasn't that good? It was good. Very good. Like on a scale of one to 10, I feel like it's probably an eight. Some improvement could be had, but it was pretty good, I think. Well, do we ever rate anything that we do as tens? Because we always want improvement. So that's good. Well, yeah, you, you do if you're average. Yeah. You rate yourself sure. 10. But man, what what's going on with the the last time I talked with you? You were still doing coaching, but you had yeah. you were doing company roll-ups, I think, and you had some equity stakes. You were in New York. Fill me in on the last couple of years. I guess it's been a few years since COVID hit. Yeah, I still do coaching. Like even on even on my website. I mean, it's the great differentiator for us and our products. I, mean, I think that's one of the things that we we share in common is we we like staying on the field, right? Like yeah. we like being in the battle still. And then especially when you're in a training world. You know, the, the moment you stop keeping yourself close to the action, then all of your stuff starts turning into philosophies in some way, or you lack the nuance. So a lot of people talk about like, oh, that's great strategic mind. Listen, people forget that you need tactics to win as well. And the tactics mm. are found on the field. And so I'll never stop coaching. It's still my first love. It's just that I, I work with, you know, super high level whether it's athletes or entrepreneurs and executives. And uh, like you were saying, I own two different training companies as well. One in the sports space, one in the business space. I've got this book, Alter Ego Effect, that is gone kind of viral around the world. So I have, I have that. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where sometimes you have an idea that takes over your, your life. It's like uh-huh. Jason Alexander being typecast for the rest of his life as being George Costanza because he was such a great character. So I'm sort of known as Mr. Alter Ego because of that. And people don't realize some of the other stuff that we do. And, and you were saying before, like uh, I've got UpCoach, the, the software platform that we're scaling right now. And that would be an interesting conversation around just like going out and getting uh, funding for that because the capital markets right now are flush with so much cash. There's very little investment opportunities for people to be putting their money into. So the valuations that you're getting right now on software are 40x. It's stupid numbers. I mean, numbers that I'm not typically used to because I was never in a space necessarily where the valuation was going to be so extremely high. So that going on. And I started, I think, can remember if we talked about this oh, when we were in Vegas having dinner um, like six years ago or five years ago, whatever it was at that war room event, I started an angel investment fund in New York in 2011 because all my friends in New York are all 
pretty very high up in like Wall Street, whether they're you know Ray Dalio's right hand person or you know youngest CFO in Wall Street history is one of my best friends. So I kind of got together a group of people and we started going out and uh, putting money into like companies early on as well. Is that a just a rolling? Yeah. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I mean, we don't do it as much together because what happens is you we all started getting successes in our own sort of areas, and then we all sort of went off on our own and just started doing our own things. Sometimes, like, there's just great. I mean, we all communicate together all the time still, but uh, how we would do it was there's eight of us or eight of us in the group originally, and when a deal would come through, we'd all look at it, and then you know maybe five people say, "Yeah, I want to invest." We'll start an LLC together, the five. And then those five will go and invest in it. And it helps to just protect the integrity and the interest of each person in the group. And uh, it's proved to be a super successful model because all of the skills that we have in that group help to evaluate deals in very, very different lenses, very different ways. So essentially, you're all GPs in the LLC, like yeah. actual ownership. Yeah. Nice. I just went to UpCoach for the first time. I mean, this looks amazing. I want to know. Dude, we're going to get traffic wanna... funnels on it. Because how do we get how do we get on it? Yeah, that's yeah. what I want to do. We're we're gonna we're gonna turn this call into a, a demo closing call. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you had this? So I did a post at the beginning of March of last year, so 2020, about I had gotten COVID and and so I was like one of the first people in New York City to get COVID. And at this time, I was like, this is a fascinating time because the entire world is gonna experience this pandemic which is hasn't like the world hasn't experienced something together since world war two. And so I wanted, I started a study in my sports company. We do a lot of studies. And so I did started doing this study on CEOs and how they were responding and based on their responses to the pandemic, what their businesses were starting to look like. And so um, I wrote this big post on Facebook about the preliminary data that we were getting back and how he was breaking down into three distinct CEO groups. And uh, at first we started with 29 CEOs and then I rolled it up and we had 91 who came through the entire study over the course of last year. But uh, anyways, long story short, in the uh, post, I had mentioned like uh, the f- like group mentoring stuff and uh, a buddy of mine, David Hensel, who scaled up Max CDN, which was a huge content delivery network and sold it and other s- software companies, pinged me and his whole takeaway was, dude, I had no idea that you had group coaching and group mentoring stuff. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, listen, I get pinged all the time by other software founders because they know that I've sold and scaled businesses about asking for help. And he's like, I'm not a coach. I'm not a trainer. So I put together a little course and then I got really frustrated that people weren't completing the course. So I'm a software guy. So I built out this little application to put more accountability into it. And he's like, if you want it, you can have it um, and use it for yourself. So I went and looked at it. This is all in Facebook messenger, by the way. And uh, so I went and looked at it, pinged him back or and said, Hey, you got 30 minutes. Let's do a zoom call. And so we got on zoom and it had some like really cool little features. And I was like, dude, I would build, this is what I built for coaches. And um, 30 minutes later, we were co-founders of UpCoach together, which wasn't UpCoach at the time. Then I went into like brand mode and what's a good brand name and like all that kind of stuff. And we were able to acquire upcoach.com, which is interesting because it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And you know, like everyone, there's so much uncertainty. So here's someone who is squatting on a domain and they wanted $22,000 for it. We offered them $6,500 and he accepted $6,800. So like a two-syllable premium domain up coach I got for less than $7,000. So that's how it started. And then we started just building up product. And uh, for most of last year, started bringing in some like small little demo cohort groups of people into, into it. And the product is just like ballooned into exactly what I've wanted as a coach for the longest time, especially someone either in one-on-one stuff or doing group stuff, whether it's cohorts, really putting in like some really great accountability tools, encouragement, managing the backend client side of things, so the CRM side of things, and then actual delivery, like putting them in the same spot. And uh, yeah, we've got like some wicked people coming on. Dan Martell, who you mentioned before, he's going to come over onto it. Uh, Ryan Dice and the Scalable team are on it already with all their companies. Bro, get me and Chris on there, and uh, we'll bring we'll bring twelve thousand clients over to it. And just make it exponential. I knew there was a reason I was going to do this podcast with you. <laughs> it's like it's exponential growth. That's that's my name. Um, yeah. How how deep are you guys going into email on the back end? Like when you say CRM, is it yeah. also are you investing into email deliverability and like campaigning? 
or is it mostly an LMS online? So we are focused on the moment someone becomes Taylor Welsh's client or Traffic and Funnels client, then we we help to take over that. Because that's typically what people don't get about like the service delivery space, coaching, consulting, advising, mentoring, is that at the end of the day, even if it's in a group format, people are still kind of buying a relationship from you. The coaching world attracts, you know, at the heart of it, people who really care about changing someone else's life, whether it's through health and fitness or whether it's through wealth, like you guys are up to now, or whether it's through sales skills or whatever, like you want to help people grow. And because of that, the big insecurity around why people don't sell, I call it the Chinese finger trap. I don't know if you've ever seen that device where you put your one finger in like this little tube and then another thing, and you try to pull it apart and it's, and it's stuck. It's actually a video that I do on the site and it's the Chinese finger trap of coaching where you know you need to go and sell more. And so people say, you got to sell more. But the reason why you don't sell more or push so hard to get people into your programming is because you're insecure about the delivery, about the promise that you might be making, or about the pain of delivery, like how difficult it is to, to manage all that. So then you don't grow it and you don't scale it. But when you get that delivery side right, it actually releases the governor on the sales side of things. That's the trick to all this. I've, I've scaled and sold two coaching and training companies for multiples of millions of dollars. And that was the trick. Fix the delivery side and the sales side will actually come. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely in the future be adding on like landing page options and stuff like that. But that's not a need in the marketplace. Everyone's fulfilled with that. Like there's a, there's a bunch of options. People are not fulfilled on the back end. And so, yeah, when it comes to like the, um, uh, the email deliverability, it is, we're actually just going into the start of 2022 is building out the communication side. Once you build a program, cause we're releasing the chat feature inside of it right away where you can do private chat and messaging inside of UpCoach with your clients. We already have the discussion forum and, and stuff in there as well, but you'll be able to when you set up a program, let's say it's a 90 day program, you can actually preset all your communication routes. So on day one, this email is going to go out day three, we're going to start a chat right inside. So it's automated for you. Everything just starts automatically for you. On day seven, we're going to send out a text message as a check in with people, all that kind of stuff. Dude, I'm I'm on let me get me on there. I wish I wish I would have uh, seen it two months ago, we started a new uh, underneath one of the new brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started a new coaching platform. It's been about a hundred grand a week since the first of October. Wow! And uh, dude, I'm just chaining together like random stuff because it, you know I've been doing coaching for uh, not as long as you have, but a good yeah. little bit. It's like there's no one tool that does everything really well. Um, and so I got to talk to you after this interview and see how we can get on there. Well, and that's the other side too. It's the problem with some platforms is you sort of start to overstate like, hey, we're the all-in-one platform to do everything. Yes. And, and really, we're going to be building off of integrations. No, we just want to communicate really well with all the other apps that you love to work with. So like even say, for example, Ryan Dyson Scalable, like awesome guys, and they use Airtable really well. Well, we integrate with Airtable. So like some of the features that they want to do in Airtable, we just, now it sits inside of- What about Notion? Notion, you got integrations for that? No, but that's on our, that's on our uh, roadmap of integrations that uh, we'll have. Brilliant. So raising money- was that something that was pretty easy due to just the product market match? Well, what makes it easy is more around people look at the founding team and they're like, okay, is there a track record of success here? Do they have context in the market that they're going into? And we sort of hit that with like huge check marks kind of thing. So even before we had product, we had people reaching out to us saying like, you know, I had one friend say, wait, I just heard that you and David are teaming up. Like that is a dream team for the market that you're going after because this person had so much respect for who David was and what he's built and had a little bit of respect for me. (laughs) But, um, you know, now it's even easier. We've got people who are trying to come in and throw, you know, insane numbers at us. And, and now it's about who we want to court, who we want to play with kind of thing. And who's, who's actually a right fit for us. Okay. Um, could you add me on that list too? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, that's actually the round that we're going through right now is like, we want to go to like the, the earliest stage play is, you know, people who would be great. It's like coupling strategic alliance partners with, with you being a partner with us because of the market that you're in, that's only going to help scale the, the platform even more too. 
right? So you're actually exactly the the perfect fit for the person that we would want to have be a partner with us, 100%. Love to hear it. Let's talk about that too. So one of the things that I've been doing moving into like the real estate world and private equity. So a partner of mine, we've got a PE fund, about 68 million raised, looking to get to 150. We can pull half a billion dollars in purchase power with debt. And I didn't really know exactly what it was until I started talking to you today about it. But this is like right up our alley. Would love to get on it. Even if we can't invest in it, just join for use case practices. No, but it makes but it makes sense. I mean, you would be a perfect joining partner because of that just alliance of the types of businesses that you run, the types of people that you bring into your like we're we're thinking flywheels, right? Like so I want investors or I want people who are partners that start to make the flywheel go faster. Do you have kind of exit trajectory or timelines that you're looking at, or are you just kind of playing the game, having a blast? There's huge opportunity that's in the next even 12 months of if there was an exit, it's there. Like we're, there's other platforms that are far bigger than we are right now that are already, I mean, I get text messages from them every week about, hey, can we get on a call? Can we get on a call? Because I know what their game is. Because A, I actually coach the CEO of this one company around this. So I, I, I know acquisitions well. And there is a huge roll-up that's happening inside the industry. So yes, if it's the right thing. But secondly, man, I've been in the coaching space for 24 years. I was in it before it was an actual industry, right? Like So I've seen it mature and um, I'll never not be in it. And it's not to say that I would never exit this thing. We would at the right time with it. So I just don't have a date of like, you know, 18 months from now, it'll be an exit for us or something like that. But um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things on the actual radar of whether it's scaling and going public with it or scaling and yet getting rolled up into another platform or us scaling it and us buying other platforms who, you know, at this point in time would be a suitor for us, but we'll, we might be a suitor for them because there's some things that we're doing on the back end that strategically would be very difficult for other, whether it's LMSs or platforms to, to go and replicate. Yeah. So you could essentially grow through partners like myself and different strategic partners through the through the product being good. Or uh, you could hyperdrive that by acquiring other LMS platforms, growing the market share through acquisitions, spack it out, roll it up, do whatever you want to do. But at some point, it sounds like the model I've seen is people start something, it gets really good traction they sell a portion of it or they exit for a portion of it, maybe keep 20%, let the new company, uh, or maybe maybe they keep 20%, part of it's a cash out, part of it's equity in the roll up. And then you get paid two, three, four times on the on the one company. Everything, yeah, everything's on. Can I ask you a question? Go ahead, yeah. So like, I mean, uh, what a lot of people don't know behind the scenes is your, your business partner used to work for me and with me, I wouldn't, I hate using the word for me, but you know, Chris worked with me. I'm a, you were his then, boss. You were his I'm big a, daddy. In, in some way, maybe. And I'll never forget. So when Chris sent me the email or is a text message. Uh, so other people that know that might know me, I have, I've done like, I've got this company called nine a day year. And we, we did these really uh, campaigns and launches. We did one in December every year and January every year. This is an amazing program, by the way, we went through that back in the day. Thanks. And, uh, and so December, I'm in the middle of one of the biggest launches I'd ever done. We ended up doing just under 3 million on that launch. And uh, we're about halfway through like the cart open period. And Chris sends me a message and said, hey, just want to let you know that um, this is going to be my last month. And I remember I picked the phone away and I called him and uh, he was so nervous that he thought I was going to, that I was going to like, you know, blow up at him. And I'm like, dude, congratulations. What are you going to go and do? How can I help out? All that kind of stuff. He's like, remember, I remember his words. He's like, this was not what I was expecting at all. And I'm like, man, you're what I call a shooting star. So in everyone's business, we have people who come into it that are superstars. They're not meant to stay with you. And I hear a lot of people in how they hire, where they talk about, no, you, we want to be careful of those people who like come and go because it's really expensive. And I'm like, no, it's not because the trailing comet debris off of that shooting star will always come back to you. So like, you know, me maintaining a great relationship with Chris and then you has only helped me as, as you go along. And so I think it's a super myopic way that a lot of people look at talent inside their worlds. 
and um, you know, getting pissed off when someone who's a superstar leaves. It's like, no, if you handle it right, you could actually end up maybe even having a piece of. Like, I mean, I wish I put money into traffic and funnels hell <laughs> when you guys started it back then. But that's actually a little bit of behind the scenes. But what I want to say to you is because I've known you since Chris went to you, and I've seen this like massive growth that you've gone through psychologically, mentally, like who you were before and who you are now, you know, I know this is supposed to be an interview about me, but I'm really good, interested man. in knowing like this is good. what, what were some of the like really big inflection points along your money psychology journey over the last five years? Because it's been meteoric. Well, the first thing is probably getting hit with tax bills. So pain. Pain. Yeah. My background was in real estate before TF, before the coaching businesses. So I kind of had proximity to, you know, this is funny, like you can have proximity to something, but if you're, if you, unless you have awareness to like the game and what's going on, you can miss like proximity by itself is not necessarily power. It has to be proximity paired with an awareness of the, the things you do not know, the things you want to know. So I was in the game of real estate, but I had no idea that there were people with hundreds of millions of dollars throwing money around into developments. Uh, and so once we kind of had enough money, that's the hierarchy of needs and we weren't stressed about paying for things and my wife was taken care of and we had a house to live in. I think that I just became curious about uh, getting into all of the ways to protect money. You always hear people talk about there's two games to wealth. The first is creating it. The second is protecting it. And uh, so I had to dive in and I had a lot of old contacts still in the real estate space and I was able to call them and talk to them. And it's funny because what you're talking about is a similar journey with me and my real estate background because I transitioned out of real estate, but I protected those relationships. So I had people to call when I was wanting to get back into that. So there's all the personality profile tests and then there's the, um, what's the one that's like how you work? Colby. The Colby. I took the Colby test and I'm like a research personally it's my number one strength is like the researcher and so i think that's part of my personality as well is like yeah i will i will buy books and read them in a weekend i get obsessed and this happened to me with crypto a few months ago i was telling somebody i got so obsessed with crypto that i like literally started selling shit and was not like we don't need to go out and eat we need to buy bitcoin because it's on sales thirty nine thousand dollars and yeah, that, that kind of created some more problems. But I think it's it's a curiosity and a fascination. And I also was given the right exposure. There's obviously, um, there's luck involved in my career path. And I had people to call. I don't know if it's any one thing. It's a multitude of things. But what's, what? like, I mean, there are some skills that you've built. And so, you know, when you take a look at Taylor circa 2016, Taylor circa the end of 2021, beginning of 2022, what are the one, two, or three skills that allow you to win more now? I have a lack of fear around doing it perfectly. And I had to work that out over time. Yeah, My fear ratio is relatively low at this point, which was the opposite in 2016. When you have insecurity and you're trying to prove yourself, you have a chip on your shoulder and you need this to work because blah, blah, blah. But I think it would be, if I could sum it up in two things, it would be I've reduced my fear of failure down to as low as I can get it. You can't get it to zero. I'm a human. Mm -hmm. it's, there's, a, there's a level of fear. You know this because you, you've yeah. studied this. And then the second thing is I've spent half a million dollars on financial planners and advisors and being around those people that there are some things that you cannot learn in a book. You have to be sitting with Blackstone about pulling on eight figures of debt before you learn it. And so part of the reasons I wanted to start this show is because I think that if I could, if what could I change when I went back, when I was going through my hero's journey and my road, the thing that I wish I could have found was a book that taught me stuff. And unfortunately, there's not. There's 130 books that can teach you bits and pieces. Uh, but I'm trying to sort of democratize and reverse engineer some of the things that I've learned in the last three, four years from losing money on deals, investing into bad mentors, hiring planners that worked, ones that didn't, uh, getting beat up on like, I thought this was going to save me money in taxes, but actually the person set it up wrong. So I owe double. That stuff stings and it hurts. 
but those, that would be my number one and number two is people are so afraid. And if you're, if you have such a fear and a perfectionistic tendency, you tend to not do anything. You pro- you see the same thing in your clients? hundred percent, hundred percent. And so I want to take the high jump bar and I want to lower it as much as possible for someone, which is counter to what a lot of people, you know, that are else that might be out there saying, like, you got to make massive swings and you got to do this. It's like, yeah, that's one way to approach things. But what I mean by that is when I, when I, if I were to lament some of the decisions that I'd made when I was younger was I'm trying to match my current ability to invest with what I have my aspiration point set at. Okay. And so I'm like, oh, but I'm only making $2,500 a month, which back when I started in 97, that's basically what I was making was, was that I was doing mental game coaching and peak performance stuff with teenage athletes. When I did my quick in taxes at the end of 1997, 98 and 99, all up after I put in all my costs for gas money of driving around. Cause I was doing one-on-one in-home visits with young kids. I was making $8 and 56 cents an hour. Okay. But I loved what I was doing. Okay. That's, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really even considering wealth at the time. I knew that what I was doing wasn't scalable. That's not a word that I was using back then. But what I would do is I'd be like, okay, no, I I know I want to go invest in stuff, like whether it was real estate or whether it was, you know, the stock market back then. But man, I like, I mean, if I invest five bucks a day, that's going to be nothing, peanuts. And it was such a bad psychology. And that's what I would encourage other people is the thing that you're actually missing out on when you don't just play with small numbers is the skill building. Because now that you've got, even if it's a little bit of skin in the game, you watch it differently than if you were on the sidelines. That's why like a big, I mean, you know this from me, I repeat the word field of play a hundred times in my day. Because it's the only thing that matters for me is, listen, we're not human beings, we're human doings. And I will argue till the end of time with people who try to tell me that thoughts become things. They don't. Because if they did, Taylor, you and I would be in jail because we have some pretty unclean thoughts over the course of our lives, right? Like I am not shy to admit it. There were times where I want to, to kill someone in my own head, right? Did that thought become a thing? No, it didn't. So we're not human beings. We are human doings. We are graded in life by what we do. You know, like you can think to yourself, I love my wife, but if she never hears those words from you or you do the things that show that you love her, then that means nothing, Taylor. So there is a very big difference between the person who even with five bucks a day or a week or a month goes and plays in crypto right now. Is that going to return you an exorbitant amount of money? No, but it's the skill building and the decision-making skills that you learn that then allows you to start leveling up to bigger and bigger and bigger numbers. Plus, life loves to reward people who take action. Opportunity flows to those who are on the field. You know. Teddy Roosevelt was the one who talked about the man in the arena, the woman in the arena. And so that's one skill that I would say to anyone that would be listening is just get involved with small numbers because the level of you go from learning to earning. And I talk about in my world, the difference between learned skills and earned skills and the most wise human beings on the planet earned everything. That's why your best interviews are from people who have been to the mountain and they have 96 scars on them and they can tell you about, oh, that scar right there, you know where that one came from? It's because my tax accountant set up the wrong tax structure for me and I had to pay double the taxes. Fascinating interviews. The people who've read all the books, Taylor, bore me to death. You talked about that at the beginning. You're like, you enjoy being the Mason, not just the teacher. You're both and you have more power because of that. I love being the Mason and then I also love organizing the masonry crew. Right. When it comes down to that, like what you're talking about, if you have the time, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about like, what's the placement of normalization? Because what I've seen is a lot of people will act, but then they stay at that $5 a day rather than harvesting the compound. There's, there's a compound interest, a, an intangible compound interest to normalizing up to new levels and they don't normalize, they plateau out. How do you prevent that? Or how do you spur one of your clients to like snap up to that next level? So. I I call it the octagon of performance. There are eight specific levers that we use when helping to someone or anything constantly grow. And it's pulled out of the world of sports performance. So you can take any topic and put it inside of the octagon. 
and you take any one of these levers. One of them is the principle of overload, right? So if you're trying to grow muscles in your body, you need to overload the muscle. Like the muscle knows how to lift 20 pounds. And if you continuously give it 20 pound weights, it will stay the same. Right. You need to overload it. The other side of it too is that as you add more weight to that muscle, it will get to a plateau level. And then you got to find another way to overload it. Now, there is just like anything in life. I operate underneath the umbrella of nature. I think nature is one of the great meta rulers of whether it's models or frameworks or philosophies. If something doesn't exist in nature, then it probably doesn't exist. So one of the, the there's there's a binary path to nature. You're either growing in nature or you're decaying in nature. There is no stasis because you're always hovering on one side of the line, right? And so you take this principle of overload, like I was just talking about. Well, if you constantly overload something, you know what you're going to do? You're going to exhaust it. So any topic I can put in the middle of this octagon, and if I'm looking at it through the lens of overload and you're being exhausted, that means that I need to take a look at overload as one of the principles that you are over-indexing on. You've got hyper-overload. So then... The one principle that works really, really well with overload is what? It's the principle of recovery. Every system needs recovery time. If you only consume books, 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 you're going to overload it, and you're never going to get time for synthesis to happen, which happens in recovery mode. So I go into the gym, and I bench the 145 pounds, and I max out the muscles. And what happens is you get these little micro tears in the muscle, which then when they get rebuilt, they grow. But in order for the rebuild to happen, and that muscle to get bigger, it needs recovery time. So the point about this, coming back to what you were saying, how can you stop someone from staying at $5 investment dollar a month or whatever their, their threshold is and, and go up, is going back to kind of one of the principles that you had talked about that you think you really own, which is curiosity. It's the idea of, I wonder. I wonder what could happen if I go to seven. And it prevents you from getting caught into this stasis zone where you're not actually in, if you stay at $5, you're, you're, yes, you're leveraging compounding interest, but you actually might be getting diminishing returns as well because nature says so. So how do I help someone not stay in, in that zone? Well, I stop looking at themselves as the object of an identity that's filled with insecurities and self-doubts. And we look at it as building a project. So, you know, like I think that I'm sitting here and I was given this body and I was giving a set of some talents from birth. And I think the way that I look at my life and I think of myself as a project that I want to use goals and other aspirations as a device to make this thing better. And then I have my own philosophies around what does better mean? Well, I do want to leave people better from the experience of me than the moment that they had just come in. That's just one of my philosophies. I don't want to leave someone worse off than when they met me. And that could be through the use of, you know, whether it's a compliment or whether it's a recognition of, hey man, like you've changed so much since I last saw you. It's like what we were talking about before. Like it's so natural for me to recognize that Taylor and who you are five years ago to now is dramatically different. But here's the thing about me that I think is, and people like me, which I'm sure there are plenty of people. When people say congrats on your success, I'm like, what is this? What? I'm, yeah. I am already in the future. And uh, I think that there, the, some people, they have this thing where, and it can become dangerous if not properly harnessed, where there is no finish line. It's just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And I'm aware of this in my own life because I could see myself, I'm 32 years old. And I think that there's two main projects right now that will be one to $3 billion exits for me in the next five years. I'm 32. What do I do? Because I'm not going to be happy with it. There's going to be fulfillment for a second. But to me, it's, there's not a, a switch in my brain that says, you know, it's, it's to be applauded. Uh, it's just become normal. And then I see people who are the reverse of that. And it's like, I don't really know what the distinction is. So then are you trying to reconcile something? No, I'm just curious. What causes people like me, people like you, people who are, they love to run because not to win a trophy, but because it's just fun to wake up at four in the morning and run. It's almost like they've become accustomed to payment as a fulfillment device 
in and of itself, paying the price and moving forward and winning, you know? Yeah. Versus people who don't. Do you find that you can snap people out of that? Or is it just you're born this way <laughs> and it's just you're stuck? It's a really, really good question. And it's an unpopular answer for people to hear. But there are some people, because it comes down to a talent. So talents in, in, its, in its Greek and Latin root form means genetics, actually. So people use the word talent, you know, and it's, it's euphemism, euphemism or it's just a you know, figure of speech, but they use talent as a replacement for skills. And so talent is actually your genetic code. So really, actually, your, your, your hairline and your hair color is your talent. That's a talent. Your height is your talent. Your IQ is a talent because while a lot of people think that you can adjust IQ, you can't actually increase IQ by more than about 12 to 15 points based on a lot of different studies that have happened. And then there's your musculature. That's a part of your talent. Some people are born with a lot of fast twitch muscles or the way that their hips are shaped actually allows them to run at a different speed or a different rate than others. You know, Michael Phelps, he used his talents in the right sport. You put Michael Phelps in a different sport and he would be a name that we wouldn't be using right now. But because of his, the size of his heart and the size of his lung capacity, he managed to find the sport that worked for him, which goes to like, because I mean, I've been in the world of sport, I tell parents, I think some of the biggest mistakes that you're making when it comes to sport is that you're exposing your kids sometimes to the wrong sport that isn't custom built to help them go and succeed very well. Now, Muggsy Bogues is the, you know, the exception to the rule. And again, so I'm not saying you should, you should try and hunt for like the right sport for your kids so they can become a pro or something like that. But it's, you know, it's an interesting way to be looking at it. So my point about going to what you're saying about ambition, I've come to experience over my career that ambition, I think is a part of the genetic code. And the reason that's unpopular is because it's unfair to an extent. Well, no, because that's if you value ambition over other things, because mm, okay. just because you have ambition doesn't mean that you have some of the other talents or skills that human beings can develop that are also extremely valuable. Because if we had everybody have the same levels of ambition, we would have a completely dysfunctional society. Right. So, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn to be great or highly skilled at the things that you have an inclination for. I didn't use the word passion. Because passion is an effect. It's not a cause of something. You don't have passion and then start something. You find it in the work that you do. You need to expose yourself to things. And so I think a lot of people have lived their lives with a lack of exposure to a lot of different things. They haven't been able to find the thing that lights them up. I did. Like I found coaching. Like human beings light me up. I was just at a, a dinner with three other guys and combined wealth between all of them would be probably somewhere around $6 billion at this point in time and growing rapidly. And, you know, we were talking about introversion and extroversion. And, and I was saying how Thursdays is a delivery day for me. And one Thursday every month, I spend 14 hours on calls, like coaching calls with like private clients, athletes, and then leaders, and then some of my group mentoring stuff. And I'm like, my wife gets she doesn't get angry with me, but she's like, I walked out of my office two weeks ago because it was my my 14-hour day and I was like bounding out of it with like all this energy. She's like, how are you not exhausted? She's like, all I've heard is you talking in there all day long. And I'm like, I can do this 24-7. How lucky am I that I get to do that? So going back to your question though, because I really want to, I have come to the conclusion that, yeah, I think some people have deep ambition and drive to do certain things and walk through fires and bogs and briars and hell to put themselves through it. And some other people don't. Jim Rowan, who is my, one of my mentors, he said it this way. He said, Todd, I know that your, your dad is a farmer. And imagine the farmer goes out to the field and he plants the seeds in the spring. Okay. So he plants the seeds, hoping to reap a harvest later. And he comes back two months, three months later to reap the harvest. And he finds that some of the stalks of wheat in the head produced only 30% of its capacity, 30% of its seeds. And then he goes to other ones and he finds that they produced about 70% of their capacity of seeds. And then he finds others that produced 100%. He's like, wouldn't it be crazy for your dad to go back to the 30% seed and yell and scream at it to become 100% seed? That seed is a seed. It will always produce 30%. Now that sounds very pessimistic to some people that are out there who love to consume, you know, a lot of bullshit, waxing philosophical Pollyanna advice on Instagram 
But that's how I know that those people have not worked with actual leaders or people doing tough stuff. It's because it is a reality. There are some people who are built to produce 30%. And I'll be damned if I waste a lot of my time trying to turn them into something that they're not going to. Why isn't it my job to accept that they're a 30% seed? And here, I'm going to get flamed by a lot of people about that because of whatever kind of bullshit that goes on inside of some people's heads. But I don't give a because they're not the people that I work with anyway. You have the people that you serve and to hell with everyone else. Some people want to argue for their limitations, man. They just want to argue for it. And I'll be damned if I'm going to waste a lot of my time for that. That's what I was saying. I think that's potentially why part of it seems unfair or it seems people don't want to accept it because they perceive it as unfair. But, but Taylor, that's the problem. Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot as well. But Thomas Sowell, who's one of the great brilliant minds. Of, I don't know if you've read any of Thomas Sowell oh, stuff. Yeah. Yep. He talks about the inequities of the uni- universe. And the moment that you bring a fairness frame to something, Taylor, it's the wrong frame. Because in nature, fairness does not exist. And like, hey, like one of my core values is actually justice and fairness. Like justice and fairness is actually one of my driving forces. That's why I care so much about the people that I work with, because I, I try to make things fair, but it's a bad frame. Fairness does not exist in the universe. So then why are we trying to argue about fairness in some, in some areas of life that it just does not exist? Fairness of outcome is not supposed to be there. Yeah. Equality of outcome is, yeah, I understand what you're saying. One of the things, and just, I can talk about this because as someone who has consumed so much information and so much training from so many different people, I think that there are, there are players who only care about playing in, in their one lane and they have one bucket and one metric of success. And if they're successful in that area, then they don't give a about anything else and then there are other people who they are no less talented in their lane but they have a holistic approach to success in their life there's different buckets of success there's family there's chill being a good dad being a good friend i'm interested in because here you are at this point in your life you're wildly successful although your best days are definitely ahead of you we all know that you haven't finished yet you are growing in stature, influence, and success. But how do you make time for the other areas of your life that are important? Being a good dad, being a good husband. That is a sacrifice. I have a two and a half year old. When I didn't have kids, I did not understand the sacrifice. And now I'm starting to learn that there is, it's not necessarily a balancing act. It's a, it's a genuine sacrifice. What are some tools or practices or thinking recipes that you can share about how you've made it work to be successful in multiple areas? So Warren Buffett had a quote in an interview just about two years ago where the person was asking him about the commonalities amongst all the best leaders that he's ever met. And, and he said, there's actually only one. There's only one quality that every single leader shares because there's many other qualities that have helped them become successful, but there's only one that I've found that unites every single one of them. And it is that they have all, his direct quote was, they have all chosen who they model and have chosen as their mentors wisely. It's the only thing that he's found to be true of these most successful leaders or people that he's come across. And it gets to your, gets to answering your question. So a gentleman that I became enamored with in the mid to late 2000s is this gentleman, Clayton Christensen, who was a professor at Harvard University. He's the one who really popularized the term jobs to be done, which is a phenomenal framework that I, I think massively trumps the whole idea of building out customer avatars and stuff like that. He wrote a book a few years back called How Will You Measure Your Life? But what I had, and so anyways, I sought out Clayton uh, because of the jobs to be done stuff, because I really wanted to learn more. And I actually literally drove to Boston, attended one of his classes at Harvard. I wasn't a student at Harvard. And then after his lecture was done, I walked down to him and I introduced myself and just said, you know, how, how can I get around you more? How can I learn? What can I, is there any projects that you're working on that I could help out with? And so I got to spend some time with Clayton. And he was so incredibly impactful when it came to, because I didn't have kids yet and I wasn't even married yet. And he shared this story, and there's actually a a video of him sharing the same story online, where when he was in in 1970s, he was finishing up his master's degree in business at Harvard. And, you know, he's Mormon, and he had a bunch of other Mormon friends at Harvard. And every week, they would invite in an alumnus to come in and speak to them and share their wisdom on success in life and in career and stuff. And they had one guy came into them and said, 
listen, like a lot of you are going to be graduating really soon and, and you're going to go off and become titans of industry or you're going to have these successful careers. And then 10 years from now, you're going to come for your reunion and you're going to meet people who are probably titans of industry and they're going to be very successful. But you're also going to hear the story of how they're divorced and how someone else might be raising their son or daughter on the other end of America, you know, on the other coast or somewhere else. Now, when they left Harvard here, did they plan that? Like, was that on their goal list of, you know, become successful and have another man or woman raise my children somewhere else? No, they didn't. But it's in the way that they led their lives that actually created that result. So why is that? And by the way, that person that was talking to them was Mitt Romney. Okay. And so Clayton said, you know, like that was very impactful to me because he said, it's true. I did come back for my 10 year reunion and there were people that had that exact life going on. And so he said, why is that? So I got really enraptured with this question of why does that happen? And when you think about business or you think about your professional career, Taylor, like you and I, you know that if you put in a certain amount of effort today, you're going to get paid a dividend on that effort in your business tomorrow or next week or in this month, right? So the feedback loop is quite rapid. But with children, it's not rapid feedback loops. You have an 18-year wait for that feedback loop to close. I almost get choked up thinking about because I got three little kids. And I think about how long that feedback loop is of how successful I am at helping to prepare them to like themselves, to respect themselves, to trust themselves. And so it is a difference of knowing how to play the long game with your children. And what that means is knowing that quantity of time matters. Another story. So in 97, when I was trying to build up this peak performance business, I had a day job selling photocopiers with Xerox door-to-door, okay? Very hard job. It was printers and, and photocopiers, and I was a terrible salesperson at the time. And I would drive around like everyone else with radio cassette tapes in my little Radio Shack cassette player on my seat next to me. And I had gone through the entire Edmonton Public Library, which is where I was living at the time, of all the cassette tapes that were there. And the only thing that was left was Zig Ziglar's How to Raise Positive Kids in a Negative World. Highly suggest you get that. It is amazing. Now, I'm not a super religious person, but I was pretty good at like, you know, contextualizing what he was saying because he would put a lot of Jesus and God stuff in it. And that's beautiful for him. But he shared this one story of when his young son, Tom, was 13 at the time, and he had come home from school and they had this ritual of going for a long walk around their Dallas neighborhood. And so they were going on this long walk, sort of meandering along. And as they were walking up into the driveway area, Tom turned to his dad and said, dad, there's something I want to talk to you about. And he's like, yeah, what is it, son? And he said, well, you know, my friend Brady. And he's like, yeah, he's like, well, he's been saying a lot of weird and uncomfortable things lately. And I'm, and I'm really kind of worried about him. And Zig said, I want you to go inside the house right now. And I want you to give him a call and invite him over for dinner tonight. And, uh, Tom did. And it turns out that Brady was literally just finishing up tying the noose in his closet to hang himself. And so he came over and they were able to like, you know, commune with him as, as, um, uh, Zig would put it. And, um, Zig said, now the moral of the story isn't that we were able to save a kid. The moral of the story is that while everyone else goes around and say, and they trumpet that they spent 15 minutes of quality time with their kid today. If I spent 15 minutes of quality time with my son today, he would not have had built up the level of trust or courage to say what he needed to say to me. Sometimes people just need to have time with you. And so I just say that because when you think about, you know, the balancing of your ambitions in business and with your kids, don't forget that your t- kids need that quantity of time. So I only have three circles that I care about. I have the circle of my family. I have the circles of the people who pay me money, which is business. And I have the circle of self and community and friends that sit inside there. Those are the three circles where I'm going to put my ambitions in. And out of that, money will flow from it. Money isn't in one of the circles. That's me. I'm not saying that's very much, but money will flow to that because I want to have wealth in those, in those areas. Another great book beyond How Will You Measure Life by Clayton Christensen is a great book called Total Leadership. And, they, and in that book, actually on the book, there's four circles that he talks about on it. I love that framework of your circles because it simplifies your time and your life. And it makes decisions quite easy when you have that framework. Taylor, I spoke at Matt Clark and Jason Katzenbach had this event that they called uh, Amazing. 
the amazing event. So they, they taught people in the e-commerce space. And I had talked about how I get reached out to all the time by people saying, Hey, can you mentor me and stuff like that? And you know, I do that. Like there's actually young kids that I do mentor still for free today. I take five kids every year. They have to write an essay for me and then, and I, and I'll work with them. And I gave everyone the exact framework for how you reach out to someone that you would like to get some value from. And, uh, (laughs) the number of people who came up to me and didn't even follow what I had said was like off the charts. So now I'm off the stage and I'm kind of in this like, you know, open area outside the the speaker room. And these people start crowding around me, asking me questions about the, the thing. And this one person said like, Hey, you know, like, I'd love for you to like mentor me and, and da, da, da. And I was like, I just explained how to do that. And I was a little bit like, I'm not saying I handled it the best, but I'm just saying, but I, so I said, do you have a piece of paper? And they said, yeah. So it gave me a notebook and I drew the three circles. And I said, so I said, this is who gets my time. And I drew a circle and it's my family. They get my time. Of course, they're going to get my time. Drew the next circle, uh, my friends and community, like things that I'm involved in. And then the third circle is people who pay me money. Are you in any one of these circles? And the answer is no. And then people are like, one person's like, you're a f-able. And I'm like, I might be, but at least I know where the most valuable resource I have goes. I just gave you some of my time up there. I gave you the exact roadmap and yet you still won't follow it. And then I just walked away. And I, I mean, someone could say, well, that person was, was an or Todd, you didn't follow your principle of leaving people in a better place. It's like, listen, kindness and niceness are two very different things. Kindness can be you saying the thing that that person needs to hear in that moment to spurn and cause a different action. Niceness is being a mat. And I will refuse to be a mat because I was a mat for a long time and I'm not going to be a mat anymore. It's brilliant. I love it. Well, I want to honor your time. We're going to put all of your stuff in links so that we can send people your way. We need to get you out to Nashville as well. You got to come I know. I got to be there. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. I love that place. Yeah. Well, dude, let's, let's connect and figure out when your schedule allows it. And we'll put on a show and an event or whatever. And we'll talk shop. We'll do all of the things. Let's do it, man. All right, cool. Um, by the way, if you haven't read this book, Alter Ego, pick it up. You gave a lot of great stuff. Have you read The Gap in the Gain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you read uh, Levels of Energy? No. All right, I'm going to send it to you. I think it will integrate well with some of the stuff you're doing. Um, have you read Designing the Mind? No. I'm going to send you that one too. Oh, man, I found some <laughs> books you haven't read. Look at me. That's my win for the day. There you go. Appreciate it, All buddy. Right. Thanks for hopping on. See ya. Big love.